reminder of, as Mark said, we need to keep focused on him. So the message this morning is a time for war. Now, don't get worried. I'm not starting a rebellion or anything like this. Um, There are people who are convinced we're headed for a civil war in our nation. I hope not, but that's not what I'm talking about anyway. I'm talking about spiritual war. And the big idea then is that uh, we need to be successful warriors. And successful warriors are those who are equipped and know how to use the equipment. And uh, three things I want to kind of focus in on as we're going through the passage, which is from Ephesians 6, if you want to turn there. Uh, First of all, spiritual warfare is real and ongoing. I remember years back, I was in a Sunday school class, and, and I heard a comment made that said something to the effect like, well, I think we were in one of the Gospels, and the person said, well, we don't have stuff like that, you know, that demon that was throwing the boy into the fire and stuff like that today. And I said, have you watched any news at all and seen some of the evil things that people have done in our world every week to children, to others, to uh, and, and you think that there's not spiritual warfare going on, it, it would be, uh, to me, a willful ignorance to say so. And, my, and that's, if that offends you, I'm sorry. But I can't imagine how anyone looks at our world and doesn't see the spiritual warfare going on. The second thing we're going to focus in on, and this is right from our text, is what are our defenses, those uh, things that we use as a defense. And then what are the weapons? What are the weapons that we need to use when we go on? Uh, on offense so we're going to be in this passage Ephesians 6 it's well known to most of us that grew up in the church if we were in any kids programs you may even have the little plastic armor in your house as we did when our kids were toddlers that had the sword of the spirit and the all of that Um, and Paul writes about this not only in Ephesians but in some other places as well he alludes to this idea Uh, always reminding Christians that he's writing to and that he's speaking to that they need to be ever ever mindful of the battles that they're in. And being mindful, they need to be constantly checking their equipment, making it ready. And that includes not only having the equipment, but keeping it in working order. And very importantly, being trained and ready to use it. So... Since Paul's using a military analogy here, I'm going to stay on that as well. Uh, our Heart of the Warriors, we did the first one. You know, we talked about the rattling of the sabers as a good example. And I remember talking to uh, Dr. Greg Borgand when we first started using his material. Remember, we had him come here for our thing. And, and uh, he said, I don't know if he wrote this or said it to me on the phone, but he said, You know, people get offended that I use all this military terms, and I'm like, have you ever read Paul? (laughs) You know, if you don't like me using the word rattling of the sabers or something like that, Paul was full of military analogies. Um, When I was in the Marines uh, a long, long time ago, (laughs) I served at two different what were called support units. Um, And these units uh, in wartime are not mainly concerned with being in the battle, Instead, they're in support of those who go to battle. And so my first duty station was Cherry Point, North Carolina. I was at Marine Wing Support Squadron 271. 
And our mission was to always be ready to set up an airfield and to maintain that airfield anywhere in the world where it was needed within a very short order. So if called upon, our squadron would bring all the materials needed to run a complete airfield. All of it was portable and movable. We had crash fire rescue people, that's the, the firemen basically. Uh, we had security people, we had medics, we had administrative person, that was me. <laughs> we had uh, maintenance and we had supply and we had intelligence people in our unit. We had a bomb squad even uh, and many other vital units. It was one of, actually one of the biggest squadrons I think on the East Coast and uh, we would have all of those things in one squadron so that if called upon to go anywhere in the world, they could set up a working airfield uh, very quickly. And our squadron had people that were trained in all of those jobs to be ready. However, most of the time, at least especially when I was there, there was no, no conflicts going on, thank God. So mostly people just sat around getting fat and lazy, playing video games and cards and watching movies, right? No. No, when the Marines are not in combat or actively serving, they don't sit around. They maintain equipment. They train how to use that equipment. They continually prepare. In our squadron, for one thing, they had dozens and dozens of vehicles, from five tons to Humvees. And in fact, you drive past this enclosed parking lot on our, that our squadron had, and it was basically like looking at a new car lot. Lines and lines of brand new military vehicles, most of them with less than 100 miles on them, that just sat there for years. However, they were all perfectly maintained. They were all ready to be used at any time. In fact, it frustrated me sometimes because sometimes I ran errands for the squadron commander in this junky old Humvee and I would ride past all those brand new ones and think, why am I riding in this old one? But the moment that the world or the country needs the Marines to go into action, nobody wants to hear we're not ready. Um, the gaskets on the trucks are all need to be, be replaced because we let them sit too long without running. Or we slacked off on training because there was nothing to do, so we just sat around. No, the United States and the world, they want the Marine Corps to be ready to do its job at all times. And that goes for the other military services as well. In fact, it goes the same for farmers too, right? You don't finish in the fall and say, well, I'm, I'm done till March. Can take a nap, right? Great. Is that how it goes? No, the, the day after harvest, the farmer's out there doing the same thing the Marines do. I've got to make sure my equipment's ready for the spring. need to do all of these other things. Farmers don't often take vacations. I know that for a fact. They, they don't, or if they have, especially if they have livestock, <laughs> they never get to leave. And anyway, in the same way, the Christian is to be ready at all times. We're to be ready for spiritual warfare. We're to maintain our weaponry. We're to be trained and ready to defend or attack as may be needed. If we are faced with temptations, we should instinctively choose holiness over happiness. If we're faced with opposition to our message, we're not to turn tail and run, but defend the ministry of the church as we're commanded to do. We're not only to be aware of the whole armor of God, we're to maintain the whole armor of God. And we're not only to maintain the whole armor of God, we are to be ready and trained to use the whole armor of God. 
We're not only to be ready and trained to use the whole armor of God, we are in the moment of truth, and when the thick of battle happens, we are to use the whole armor of God in effective spiritual battle with the enemy of our souls. So I'm going to read from Ephesians 6 and verses 10 to 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. You might, some of our older folks will know this song, to everything turn, turn, turn. Anyone? No? That song, which was by the birds with a B-Y instead of a B-I, was taken directly from Scripture. It's from Ecclesiastes 3, uh, verses 2 to 8. The idea is that there's a time for everything in life. And the wise will learn to know when it is time for each of the events listed in the final line in verse 8 of Ecclesiastes uh, is a time for war and a time for peace. For Christians, there is one thing that is always in season, and that is spiritual war. In the Revelation, it says Satan accuses them day and night before our God. Christians are told throughout the New Testament to endure, to be ready. The adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Spiritual warfare is always in season, every moment of every day. The enemy is accusing you before God. And he's providing temptation of all kinds. He provides financial temptations, pride, gossip, lust, hate, bitterness, anger, lying, fear, anxiety. Anybody have that lately? And many other temptations are constantly thrust upon us by Satan and his demons. None of those things are from God. Spiritual warfare never stops. No moment in our life is ever free from spiritual warfare. If it were not enough to be battling Satan and his demons, we're also battling our own flesh. The Bible tells us that we constantly battle our own desires. As sinful people, we're naturally inclined to do evil. There are two primary ways of doing battle, defensively and offensively. 
Paul lists several defensive parts of the armor of God and also some offensive weapons of spiritual warfare as well. So what are your defenses? Well, Paul lists five things that we could consider to be defensive. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of light, righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can exchange all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation. So those are all defensive, right? And that's because they're there as a protection for us. I remember... I mean, which, which war it was, one of the ones in the Middle of East where, where people were frustrated with the fact that the military didn't have reinforced Humvees. You remember that? They, they, they were getting these roadside bombs and most of the Humvees were not reinforced. And very quickly, it was one of those rare times when the two parties got together and said, we're going to sign a bill quickly to get the money quickly to upfit these Humvees for the protection of our military guys. And gals. And we have defensive weapons that are listed here by Paul. However, just because they're defensive in nature does not mean that they're only used when we're defending ourselves against a spiritual attack. But they protect us during the spiritual attack. And sometimes it should be us on the spiritual attack. Remember, it's not a battle of flesh and blood. Never think of yourself on the attack against another person when it comes to spiritual warfare. It's a spiritual attack, and spiritual attacks are done using spiritual weapons. The belt of truth is used. Satan is constantly calling into question our salvation and our worth and causing us to question the motives of others. The lies of Satan must be combated by the word of God. It's the truth that sets us free. The lies of Satan are not always ones that seem harmful to us. One of them is you don't need to change the way you live. He tells us that we trust in God's love to save us no matter how we behave. That's one of the lies out there. He tells us that just because the Bible commands us to live in a certain way, it's okay if we don't. This is one of the lies that puts us into complacency or apathy. How do you combat a lie that says, don't worry about changing how you live. No matter what you do, you're okay with Jesus. You combat the lie with what? The truth. Jesus spoke truth, and he said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Jesus said, when he spoke the truth, go and sin no more. Jesus spoke the truth, and he said, be ready for his return by preparing ourselves as the bride of Christ. Paul spoke the truth and said, we should walk or live in a manner worthy of our calling. Paul spoke the truth when he said in Romans 6, 1 and 2, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin and that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? So put on the belt of truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Are we righteous? Well, the Bible says we are not righteous on our own but that those who put their faith in Jesus have him as our righteousness. Our own righteousness is but what? Filthy rags. The righteousness of Jesus, though, is the righteousness we can rely on. And he clothes us 
in his righteousness. Uh, there's a beautiful illustration of that in the book of Zechariah where he takes the filthy garments off and puts the clean uh, vestments on. It's beautiful. The breastplate of righteousness is the thing that protects our very soul. We can't do it on our own, but we can stand as righteous if we trust in Christ. However, putting on the righteousness of Christ means that we also submit ourselves to being made righteous. Righteousness and holiness is something we pursue in this life. We never completely attain it, but in our journey to become like Christ, he completes that work. Then he says, the gospel of peace as shoes for your feet. What is the gospel of peace if not the gospel that brings peace between God and man? The enmity against God that our sin causes is undone by the blood of Jesus and his, his acceptable sacrifice for our sins. The peace between God and men is available to anyone, but as individuals we must always stay away that, aware that our peace with God is given by his grace through Jesus Christ. And our response to that determines how we live. Jesus said of one woman who has been forgiven much, loves much. Have you been forgiven much because of the gospel of peace? If you've been forgiven much, love much. And one way that Jesus defined our love for him is if we keep his commands. The shield of faith is next, and that's capable to extinguish, Paul says, all the flaming darts of the evil one. The shield of faith is another key component in our armor. Well, how do you get faith? Well, the Bible tells us. Good news that there's answers for almost all the questions we really need to ask. How do you get faith? Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. I feel like I heard that this morning. Was that part of your reading this morning, Glade? I think it was. Um, simply put, hearing the gospel declares declared brings faith increases faith adds faith multiplies faith whatever term you want to use hearing how does one hear well by listening to biblical preaching by sharing faith stories with others by having a community of christians who grow together and mutually encourage each other in the faith faith comes by hearing and also faith comes by experiencing Activate your faith by learning more about God's plan through reading the Bible and listening to preaching and activate your faith by being active in your faith. That means living in a manner worthy of your calling, sharing the gospel, doing works of service, showing love to everyone you encounter. Activate your faith and it will be a shield for you. The final defensive part of our armor is the helmet of salvation. Now this seems like it would be obvious. But Paul is pointing this out as our need to put on that as part of our armor as well. What does the helmet do? Obviously, protects our head. Often when people reject the faith, whether they reject it by never accepting it or whether they hear the truth for their whole lifetime and never actually believe unto salvation, which sadly happens in many churches, it is often because their head got in the way. Or they thought they were too smart to need Jesus. 
or after being continually bombarded by the evil one who is the God of this world, the Bible tells us, and his lies that tell us there's no need for God because science is there. He tells us holiness, Satan tells us, so holiness is a wasted pursuit because in the end we'll all be okay anyway. You see, Satan's biggest game field, his biggest battlefield is our minds. And he will do all he can to convince you that you're not saved. Or to make you think that after being saved, now you have no responsibility left. He tries to get us to do the same thing that he did. Allow pride to cause us to reject God's perfect plan and put ourselves above his ways. So take your salvation seriously. Protect your noggin by being constantly mindful of what God did to save you and what that means. Then, responding to his loving kindness, live out your salvation. As Paul wrote to the Philippians in chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now we will look at the weapons we have that are offensive weapons. Hopefully not offensive, but offensive weapons. We have looked at those defenses. Now we're going to look at what we take into the battle when we're bringing the battle to the enemy. Now there's two main weapons that we use. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and prayer. First, we have the sport of the Spirit, and there's no need to guess what Paul meant here. He defines it immediately. It's the Word of God. Hebrews 4.12, for the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scriptures breathed out by God. And useful or profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So scripture is our weapon. We need to know it. And we need to learn it. And we need to be trained and ready to properly use it to effect. Just as marines, soldiers, airmen, and seamen. And now, what are they called? The troopers, the space troopers, or whatever the new uh, division of the military is. <laughs> the space force. I'm sure they'll do the same thing, constantly training to be prepared to use their weapons, and so we need to be constantly preparing. So how is Scripture a weapon? Well, Jesus showed this to us. It's listed in the Gospels that as he was battling Satan and the temptations Satan brought, how important this is. Scripture is a weapon that's used by both sides in the spiritual war. Did you hear that? Scripture is used by both sides of the spiritual war. And we see that in the Gospels where Satan used Scripture against Jesus by twisting it, by misusing it, by taking it out of context and by putting a meaning on it that was never intended by God. Jesus combated that by doing what? By using Scripture properly in its purity, in its beauty. And Satan could not stand against that. Today, there are many who use Scripture in the same evil way that Satan did, twisting it, misusing it, taking it out of context, putting a meaning on it that was never intended by God. And Christians must know Scripture well enough to combat this by using Scripture properly. 
in its purity and beauty, and Satan will not be able to stand against that. Unfortunately, Bible knowledge among self-proclaimed Christians is at an all-time low. And studies have been done. Barna's one that's done all the studies on this. They show an appalling lack of understanding of Scripture, even in the church. Many of the people who seem to be the most confident in their Bible knowledge, when the survey asks a series of questions about the Bible, that includes basic knowledge, they're at a loss for answers. And I remember going into Bible college, and they had a, a, it wasn't to see if you got in or not, but just to see where your Bible knowledge was, and you had to take this online test. And uh, according to some of my professors there, they said, it's scary. How many, how many kids come out of a lifetime of church and they can't answer very basic questions about the Bible? I've been reading an old, they call it the first modern novel, Don Quixote. I've been reading lately from about 400 plus years ago. And as you read some of those old novels, you see that there's actually a basis where they, they use all kinds of illustrations that are from Scripture in those stories. It's not done overtly like they're trying to preach to you, but it's just, it was so much part of the culture that you just assume that as people were reading this, they'll know what you're talking about. But we can't do that so much anymore. When biblical understanding is so low, is it any wonder that so many false preachers and false prophets have such a huge following? We'll find out probably this week that a whole bunch of false prophets made a prediction about who's going to be the president next week, and they were wrong. If you followed them, are you going to keep following? If they're wrong, where's the discernment in the church? If someone says, I said the Lord told me this, and then they put it on the internet or they put it on a blog or, the, or a podcast, and it turns out not to happen, you ought to stop listening to them. That is dangerous. If you don't find enough of what God wants you to know in the Bible, and you need so much of that, then please go to Scripture. He's got all you need right there. Now, Martin Luther, among other things, is known for helping to make Scripture accessible to common man. Today, Scripture is more accessible than ever, and the common man would rather listen to a pep talk and hear platitudes than go actually study the Scripture for themselves, as the Bereans in Acts were commended for doing when they listened to the preaching and then they went back to Scripture to see if things were true. And I, if I haven't said it lately, I'll say it today. Don't take my word for it. You ought to take your Bible home with you and, and check out everything I say to make sure that I got it right. Nothing would give me more pleasure than for you to do that. And, uh, and that's your job, to know the truth. The Bible says that in the end times, even the elect will be deceived by false teachings. If so, then we have evidence of the end times clearly before us, because many of the elect are falling for lies. How do you know who to believe? When one preacher calls you to holiness and another tells you, just love yourself the way you are and all will be fine, no life change needed. Well, you know by studying the truth for yourself. And I encourage you again, study the Bible. Spend time in it, and it will pay off. You will be blessed when you make time to study, and you will protect yourself from believing lies. 
If you're already in Scripture every day, ask God, help me go deeper. Help me understand it. Meditate on Scriptures that you haven't paid much attention to. Learn more. Get into a Bible study. Get ideas. Uh, there's many ideas out there for studying and helps, and you can get those. If you aren't in the Bible every day, then as a soldier of cro the cross, you're being neglectful of your duty. Well, maybe you do trust me. Or maybe you trust someone on the radio or someone on the TV to give you all the information you need. Big mistake. Imagine a Marine who thinks it's not important to learn his weapon and keep it maintained. And his reason is that when the time comes, well, the platoon commander will do it for me. It wouldn't work for a Marine. It won't work for you. You need to study the Scripture for yourself and experience the grace of God for yourself. And I will help you in any way I can, but ultimately it's up to you. And the final weapon we have is prayer. Prayer cannot be underestimated. And here again, each person is responsible to pray on their own. Have a conversation with God. Now, I've heard many excuses over the years about why people don't pray. And I've used some of those way in the past myself. Well, it's just weird praying out loud. It feels like I'm talking to myself. Or I pray in the moment when I need to. I don't need to make a prayer time. I just do it as it comes up. Things come up, then I'll pray. And there's many other reasons people give. But let me address these. Praying out loud is strange when you first start doing it. Because it's not something you're used to doing. But praying out loud over time will become the most natural thing in the world for you. You can tell, by the way, who prays out loud in private by how they pray in public. If people use a lot of church words, or they always pray the same words when they pray in public, it may be because they're not accustomed to praying out loud privately. They don't have a conversational style of language that indicates they truly talk to God in, in an intimate way. And so you, they use lofty language, and they sound great, but you kind of wonder, do they pray in a conversational way with God? And those who pray out loud privately, they develop a love for it. They develop a closeness for God, with God that's reflected in their public prayers as well. And if the only time you pray out loud is at dinner time, or if you're asked to in Sunday school, well, you're missing out. You're missing out on one of the most exciting and valuable parts of our experience with God. He wants a relationship with you. And relationships are impossible without two-way communication. He communicates you, to you through his word and by his Holy Spirit. You communicate to him by speaking. Prayer indeed is a weapon of spiritual warfare. God answers our prayers and spiritual warfare by strengthening our faith, by helping us to resist temptation, by binding the enemy from his work against us, and by reminding us of his love for us. So develop a prayer life. All of these weapons in the armor of God are stated in this context because we're always at war. We need each time to be ready for the attacks that constantly come. The enemy is not letting up. He will continue to war against the saints until his time is up. Scripture tells us that. And the more he senses the frustration that his time is drawing near, the more he will be on the attack. But we have a great hope. We have the armor of God. Many have uh, some parts of the armor, but not all of it. But no soldier is supposed to be sent into battle only partially equipped or untrained, and neither should we be. 
All of the equipment is available to us. God's provided it. However, equipment doesn't do any good in the supply warehouse. It's only effective when it's being used. And Paul told us to put on the whole armor of God. Will you? Will you? I pray that you will. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, you have given us every tool we need for the constant battle we are in. Forgive us, Lord, for when we've neglected the tools you've given us. Lord, when we've let them sit and get rusty. Lord, when we haven't practiced using them so that we're ready for the battle. For those times when we have failed to be ready soldiers, Lord, forgive us. And Lord, empower us by your Holy Spirit to do those things which you have called us to do. In preparing for the spiritual warfare, Lord, would you help us to put on the armor of God? Because, Lord, only in your power will it have any effect after all. Lord, in our world today, as we see the turmoil, the frustration, the anxiety, may we be a steady hope to those around us. Not because of ourselves, but because of you, Lord, whom we put our hope in. May the peace that passes all understanding, Lord, be present in each one of your faithful here, that as they encounter others this week, they can look them in the eye and say, God is in control, and he wins in the end. And Lord, if we can say that with confidence and with peace in our hearts, then we can have joy that overflows and affects even those around us. Do it, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.